What does Australia's next generation of young leaders have to say about the future of India-Australia relations in a post-COVID world? And how do Indian scholars, scientists, practitioners and students factor in? You're listening to Shared Visions, the podcast that spotlights the Australian government's new Colombo plan and gets to the heart of these questions. Today, we speak with Nick McConville, a law and economics student at Deakin University, and Swetha Meenal, a commercial litigation lawyer. Thank you so much for having us. It's such a pleasure to be on this podcast. Uh, I think uh, Nick and I met uh, uh, when, when I was in my final year and he was an NCP scholar. And uh, we happen to be at a lot of meet and greets at mutual places. And we realized that uh, we share a mutual interest in uh, commercial law. And Nick also had a lot of uh, uh, willingness to learn about the gender and the socio-political status of uh, the, the Indian culture. And uh, so I, I guess that's how it, uh, we started uh, uh, engaging in insightful discussions. And uh, I mean, it was such a it was a brilliant experience to really uh, learn about the Australian culture and the, the social uh, polity as well. Shweta and I met at OP Jindal Global University, which she didn't mention. But um, so that was how we <laughs> met. Um, uh, so I went to India um, to study at OP Jindal in uh, what was it, June 2018 and I was over there until the end of August um, 2019 so I was there for almost 13 months 12 months thereabouts um, and right now I'm back in Australia and I'm working for a law firm called Clayton Newts um, I'm doing a graduate position there as well next year in March um, and so yeah, as Shweta said, we, we got along really well. We had a lot of mutual interests. We actually went over to uh, America together to moot in the Washington um, antitrust law moot uh, for about two weeks. So we went through New York and Washington together. Oh, wow. So we've, we've been through quite a lot together. We've also traveled a lot throughout India together up near Dharamshala uh, and around oh, the nice. general yeah. Delhi area, area. So, yeah, she was a great not only friend to me, but also a mentor, um, as she was saying, with the the social and political climate and environment of India and how it's so different to Australia. And I think one of the best things about meeting Shweta was that I was able to understand the culture um, of India from someone who understood it from uh, an Indian perspective, but also she was proud of the country, but also wanted to work on its problems. So being able to be so close to someone that had those perspectives really enhanced my own perspective but also experience of the country. And I don't think people can get that experience unless they actually go over to India and really engage with people on a personal level like that. But that was, yeah, one of the best parts of my time being with Shweta and and friends like it. So you came to India uh, with the NCP program as a law student. Is that right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what what was kind of your your day to day like like uh, at OP Jindal, uh, and you know how did that kind of transition into like a time for traveling and freely exploring the country and stuff? Yeah, well, so OP Jindal is very different in terms of um, structure of their delivery of education in comparison to what I am used to in Australia. That uh, all the classes are in person they're quite small in comparison um like the very small lecture theater is only sort of 20 to 30 per class 
uh, and you have much more interaction with professors. Um, it's much more like high school, but not in a bad sense. Like, I think you get mm-hmm. much more... Um, it's more hands-on. Yeah, a lot, a lot more hands-on. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's really good in that sense. Um, in terms of general life, I think that it was very different because at university in Australia, you have mixed dorms. Um, you're basically free to do whatever you like as an adult, provided it's within the confines of the law. Whereas at Opijindal, there's a lot of different restrictions on people, whether they can go outside of the campus, depending upon um, how long they've been at the university and how old they are, their parents' permission and preferences. And that just goes to show the difference in, in culture um, and the delivery of education um, and how that yeah how that's so different to what I'm used to, um, and so uh, I think uh, there are some really really fun aspects of that because although you're in a campus and you've got your freedom a little bit restricted in the sense you can't go out whatever time you like, um, you're also really forced to interact with each other a lot more, um, and you're not. Um, confined to the same people each time you're actually with the, uh, your entire community. I think that that's what the biggest difference I found was that the community agenda is much more close-knit in comparison to somewhere like um, an Australian university at Deakin or Melbourne Uni. I think I'll also attribute the reason for such closeness within the community uh, to the remote location of the campus in itself. Uh, because uh, compared to most Australian universities, which I assume are located at the heart of the city, Jindal is actually located far from uh, Delhi. It is. Uh, it takes an hour to reach the city. And uh, yeah, it, uh, we're located uh, pretty far off and we require permissions uh, from parents. We require written permissions uh, to step out of the university. Uh, and which cannot happen, I mean, uh, on your, you, you cannot step out on your own court until at least you're in your fourth year, uh, because that's when the university trusts oh, that okay. people are old enough to make decisions for yourself. And it is very interesting to know that this is one of the most uh, liberal environment in, uh, in India, because when you compare it with the rest of the institutions, they have far too many restrictions uh, holding students down. Uh, because, uh, I mean, in addition to the fact that there is separate dorms for men and women, uh, in most colleges, you have different curfews and different restrictions, as in women can't step out of the dorms, as in to access your own libraries and other infrastructure or facilities that your college has to uh, give you past 6 p.m. in the evening. Uh, But men can't do that, and you can't even think about stepping outside campus. So you have so many restrictions bogging you down, and also your free Mm. interactions. uh, So that sort of comes in the way of uh, uh, gaining a holistic experience in the university so that way i think university situated in delhi and especially jindal uh, offers a, a lot of freedom and liberty for students to just engage in whatsoever activities that they would like without uh, staring you down for doing what you want to do got it got it yeah and and it sounds like you know despite maybe some discrepancies in the regulations or the restrictions between Australia and India. Absolutely. You know, there, there was still, you were still able to have a great experience and you were still able mm. to, you know, that, that wasn't really, it wasn't an obstacle as such. No, no, um, I think um, in my answer, I probably didn't emphasize the, the positive aspects enough because right, right. it was one of the best um, times of my life at Jindal. Um, I mm-hmm. just wanted to emphasize the difference and, um, being able to experience such a different culture and a different way of living 
was yeah so beneficial for me to grow as a person um and just to know different ways of living are just as fun as what i'm accustomed to and right, right. beneficial to your personal growth mm-hmm. um and i think it just comes mm-hmm. from having a really open mind and being really open to new experiences i think that's the best way people that are going over to india can really enhance the relationship and have a good experience there because i think the expectations are the main thing as long as you are expecting things to be different then you'll be fine and you'll really enjoy right. your experience right that's actually uh, yeah it's a good segue into uh, kind of what i wanted to talk about which is uh, you know when both of you wrote back to us you know both of you kind of mentioned uh tertiary education as this space where there's a lot of room for collaboration and growth and improvement between india and australia and obviously nick like you're an example of this exact idea because you're the student from australia who went to who went to study and immerse yourself in a different academic educational environment <laughs> but uh, i guess i guess i'm uh, interested to know what you guys think about um what this would actually look like in terms of scaling it up in terms of how you know you know by placing australian students in india and placing indian students in australia is one thing uh but i think it's another thing to consider like creating a meaningful uh creating a meaningful collaboration on a departmental level for example or creating um like actually uh creating a real way for indian students to feel immersed in australian in the australian educational environment rather than just you know maybe just hanging out with other indian students in australia or vice versa when kids from outside india come to india they only hang out with you know expat students or something so um how do we kind of deepen that connection because there's obviously such a there's already such an extensive uh, uh number of people traveling between the countries so how do we um what do you guys think about how to deepen that connection i guess um <clears throat> i can go first if you like um, yeah go ahead sure. go ahead whoever wants to yeah I think that the most important thing is to just provide opportunities for as many students to go over between the two countries in a sort of a structured system as possible. So that can either be through internships or through exchange where you 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 can't force people I guess to interact with certain groups of people like if indian students mm-hmm. want to interact with indian students that'll be their own prerogative um and i think that if you send over enough australian students to india and enough indian students over to australia there's going to be a natural overlap and there will be some um some cross friendship groups um in yeah. which case you will grow um the grassroots relationships and i think that it's really important for exchange students to go over to India and Australia in the future because that means that you spill over um into different disciplines um that really invest into the micro relationships that Australia and India need so by micro relationships you're essentially finding people that have similar interests like Shweta and I who you can then um connect with later in life and you're really investing in a long-term relationships and that's where you'll build institutional connections so for example I interned at Shadal Amitrad Mangaldas which is a law firm uh, in Delhi and I interned there with a few students that I also met while on exchange at Jindal so 
mm-hmm. while I was there, I was good friends with them and we went through this internship process together and we became really good friends through those processes. So at a grassroots level, we had a micro relationship. And then now I'm at a law firm in Australia and he's at Shard Alam and Shard Mangaldas um, um, going through their graduate program in sort of in 10, 20 years' time will hopefully be leaders in our profession and leaders in our field that we can then connect um, clients with each other, Australian business, uh, Australian and Indian clients. Um, and right. yeah, so from that perspective, we can we can create relationships and that's just not um, specific to law, but it's also evident in all across disciplines. So, for example, science yeah. and education, um, that if you just create those micro relationships, then the opportunity is a spark further relationships and it will snowball um, is there and that's the most important thing. And if I may add to what he said, while well, I absolutely agree, uh, I think one of the mm. primary uh, impediments uh, standing in between mm. Indian and Australian collaboration, at least from the viewpoint of India, is uh, the funding. And uh, mm. when I say funding, I mean Indian students and the entire Indian society in itself is very narrow-minded in terms of what they look and what they want to uh, get out of education. You want to see tangible benefits. You want a, a promising career opportunity. And right, uh, you right. want a job that pays you uh, so much better. So you, I mean, so you can make double or triple of what you probably invest in your uh, education, which is probably mm-hmm. not that much when you compare it with the world-class uh, universities. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, when you really look at an exchange program, Indian students are only always uh, worried about getting their grades up and uh, uh, setting up, uh, meeting more professors or just, um, they, they, and in most, in worst case scenarios, they're intimidated by this culture shock. Uh, that completely stands in the way of them interacting with uh, students from whichever countries they go to, to uh, uh, looking forward to grow and gain mm-hmm. this exposure. So as a way as uh, to enable this transition happen in a much easier uh, way, the best way would be to um, hold culture workshops, hold training workshops. Uh, have mm-hmm. uh, So what Jindal does is Jindal has something called the buddy program to uh, help, you know, freshers feel at home uh, and break the ice right. and make them connected with the seniors. So what we mm-hmm. can have is uh, a similar program, but, ha- but uh, only the fact with the fact that these workshops are organized by uh, a joint governmental program. So you know that you have a point of contact to go to, you have a mentor to go to, you have someone who right. probably would counsel you and take care of you, tell you what your next move is. And you also have someone, uh, you uh, and get introduced to a bunch of familiar faces from within the university in itself. So you don't feel alone. So you, you feel like you're invited everywhere. And, mm-hmm. uh, and also really change this, uh, this idea about uh, the kind of holistic exposure that Indian students need to understand because when Indians say education, it really, really stops with classroom environment and books and it isn't mm-hmm. really about getting this uh, this social, cultural, environmental, political Correct. Uh, yes. different views, yeah. which, is, which is absolutely mm-hmm. unfortunate. So to be able to mm-hmm. change all of this, it all has to start with funding because one of the most uh, brilliant things about the NCP program was that it was completely funded. Uh, it it uh, the Australian government put a considerable amount of time to identify the most um, uh, qualified and the most des- deserving of all scholars, uh, and mm. also made sure that you know their monthly expenses were all taken care of, that they had an internship opportunity, 
to sort of get this whole experience, which Indian students need. They need the security. They need financial cushioning to even be able to think about an opportunity to go afar and uh, mm-hmm. learn all these in- these skills that they need, so they can come back to India and sort of talk about or collaborate with policymakers and think tanks and uh, you know education uh, uh, committees and you know uh, just create this wave that can keep moving forward. Yeah, and especially like what you said about uh, how it facilitates, you know, the ability for students to think outside of their immediate educational environment and consider how things may work in a totally different environment and incorporate some of those ideas back at home. Uh, and that's one of the, you know, that's one of the best things about this program because because it facilitated to, us to do exactly that. Um, I don't know. It's also interesting in context of the current climate, of course, like the reality of the global pandemic has made. Uh, things like this obviously a lot harder to uh to envision a lot more difficult to navigate um so and you know i've been i've been talking to people from many different disciplines as part of this podcast you know people who are in the policy space people who are biomedical scientists people who are teachers mental health professionals and uh you know they've all been kind of weighing in on how um on what it it looks like to form um meaningful ties between india and australia considering what's happening right now uh you know so i you know i, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit and see what you guys feel so uh, yeah uh, whoever would like to weigh in on that yeah uh, when we talk about meaningful ties um, i think yeah. uh, at least with respect to india it stops with this chain that they form at tertiary level education but then nobody really mm. measures the benefit that these students bring back to the country are they do they really get involved into policy making and uh, uh, making a uh, good co- social infrastructure for people to uh, this to enable this progressive transformation uh, and mm-hmm. i think i think a best way to do that would be uh, now the okay it, it, i mean it's it's not news if i say that the indian uh, india has houses the world's largest number of policy and think tanks uh right, but the real right. problem is uh that uh, it, there is this huge gap when it comes down to implementation because mm-hmm. the problem is that people that sitting uh, people that sit in these policy tanks and uh, policy and think tanks yeah, it's very disconnected from right, the right they don't reality. understand what yeah. is the yeah. and, and a reason a major reason for this is that uh, in india like i said when students look at education you want to go to uh, you know fields that would promise you a career and the indians mm. we still haven't come to this thinking uh, where we would look at econ- economy and economical professions as something that is promising there is uh, there is no glory or privilege or prestige attached to someone who works in an economic sphere yet and that is the biggest problem that the, that india is facing so when you look at think tanks you will look at the, the people that are uh, majorly involved in such organizations are uh, are retired professionals who probably have a bunch of wisdom from their own personal experiences to share but are these people with raw talent are these people that will benefit that have their skin in the game is the real question that we really we need to ask but uh, if i mean but uh, there are a few institutions like tata institute of social science which has collaborations with Melbourne University Deakin University that uh, that mm-hmm. looks to uh, make this collaboration happen uh, uh, and complement and really augment each other's needs 
and uh, understand what Australia, what Victoria needs, understand what India needs and uh, just complement each other where we lack. Uh, uh, but right, that right. mentality hasn't really seeped into the rest of the country yet. So you don't have raw talents, mm. you don't have fresh talents who understand what is happening, who, who look and experience or are victims to this poor policy planning and implementation in India. So uh, and, and which also becomes the reason uh, because uh, these, these retired professionals, uh, they don't have a, a, an incentive or a motive to engage in as much as qualitative talks as they should with the government. Mm. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to which think tank or which uh, policy-making organization has the greatest media presence, which policy-making organization produces the most research, is which is more spoken of without really going into what is the, the, the impact that they're creating, what is the quality of these research, how relatable are, uh, relatable are they. So uh, I think that mm. is a problem that India is facing and that is exactly where uh, I think Australia can collaborate with India and help us improve because if you look at what for example, Melbourne University, they, ha- they have an India center and uh, they keep uh, publishing these uh, briefs called very small policy briefs, if I'm not wrong. So every okay. month or every uh, uh, quarterly, every you know, four months, uh, they, they speak about uh, stuff like healthcare, urban infrastructure, uh, tech ed mm. uh, and possible space- places where India and Australia can collaborate. And Deakin University has collaborations with the uh, All India Institution of Medical Science and uh, Vision Research Foundation and several other healthcare foundations. So they, because the the, real, the idea, the, the real truth is that India has so much potential that they can tap into. Uh, because uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's 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 obvious because we house the one one seventh of the world's population and our human capital index, despite this, is only zero point four. But Melbourne's, I mean, Australia's human capital index is around 0.8, which means Australia does a brilliant job in making sure that they tap uh, the economic and professional potential of all of its citizens, perhaps save the ones that are already in school or really old people. And I think that is that is a quality that that Australia will have to help India understand and take care of before we can really talk about the tangible benefits such collaborations can effectuate. And well, that was a very comprehensive discussion. (laughs) Um, I think. um, in terms of the current climate with the pandemic, it, it can be used as an opportunity to break down some of the barriers that are present and have been present in the past when there wasn't a pandemic. So, for example, I think that there was obviously an expectation that if you wanted to build a relationship, you would have to go over to India and Indians would have to go over to Australia. But now that's no longer possible. And we're finding out that the electronic and virtual communication can be effective and we can then build upon the lessons that we're learning during this pandemic in terms of building on technological advancements um, and connecting with each other by virtual means to, as I said, break down the barriers that we've seen in the past and there's no need or not, at least there's not as much need to go over to the actual physical country to develop the relationship. So I think when we're implementing master's programs and educational programs like exchange and even online courses that are short, um, you can provide a good experience um, when those programs are online. And I think that you can make them quite structured around um, what you want people to gain from the experience as well. So you can have breakout rooms, um, for example, in seminars, and you can actually split up sort of the, the Indian students and the Australian students to get the, together and like force them to spark collaboration 
Um, and obviously, they'll if they're doing the same course, they're going to have similar interests. So you sort of you can manufacture some interesting connections there. And I think that yeah. although this is just a, a very um, sort of basic idea, I think it still has a lot of merit if we build upon it um, and really take the lessons we've learned, as I said, from the COVID experience and implement it when we can travel again. So you can combine. Um, some online learning as well as some physical learning together. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, and that would that would also take care of a lot of the, the financial constraints as well. So you'd have much cheaper options for students to go over. Um, because right now, I guess if you don't have the NCP scholarship, it's very difficult to support yourself over there for a long period of time. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if you did have say frequent online courses, um, or at least even not even courses some social gatherings where you learn how to make saris with um indians and um the australians are doing it right there with them or even how to make an indian curry for example for example if shweta was to uh, go into her kitchen now and i was to go into her kitchen uh into my kitchen and we'd like make some indian food together like that would still be a great experience and it doesn't require us to be uh, in each other's physical presence Mm -hmm. so yes i i I think that yeah. I think that's basically my point. I think that yeah, we don't have to <laughs> waste this pandemic in the sense that it's not all doomed. Oh yeah, the relationship. No, yeah, and and it is like it's a basic idea, as you said, but it doesn't mean that it's not a building block. You know what I mean? Like because hmm. I mean that's the, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, the thing is these kind of digital gatherings and these virtual uh, interactions are the only they're kind of the only thing that's afforded by the current pandemic because everything else is just involves such a massive amount of logistical planning Absolutely. and so many considerations that this, 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 it's the only building block we have. So, um, you know, like you both said, it's, it's kind of about what is the best we can do with it. And, uh, yeah, from what it sounds like, uh, i I feel like there, there is quite a bit of, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of room, uh, for for uh, you know collaboration between Indian and Australian students, so um, yeah, I'm personally at least looking forward to seeing where where it goes from this point. Because um, yeah, because like you said, Sweta, like the you know the 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 reality of the pandemic is very different in India than it is in Australia. Um, I think coming up with like a one size a solution for India will be will be difficult, and I've mentioned this in my in previous uh, discussions I've had as well. But uh, yeah, if, if you could just expand a little bit more on that idea, like where you said that, you know, Australia obviously is dealing with the pandemic very differently, uh, but they also have a completely different uh, infrastructure, uh, a public health infrastructure, a judicial infrastructure, with any kind of infrastructure compared to India. Um, so how, how do you think, in what sense could we, uh, in what sense could we recruit uh, some, you know, Australian methods in India, like what would that really look like for for a country like India, where the pandemic is a lot more multifaceted? It's a lot more complex. So, uh, yeah, if we, could, if we could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so, uh, I mean, at least personally speaking, I think one of the, the biggest problem that India is facing right now, especially which is uh, which makes everything much more complicated for India, is the rural population. So 70% right. of the population in India is just rural and we have we have the world's largest slums as well. Uh, and again, in this way, I think Australia did away with all of its slums, say about 60, 70 years ago. 
So uh, there's and also uh, cities in Australia, including Melbourne, have always been ranked as one of the most livable cities in the world for like over a decade or so and very consistently at that. So uh, there is certain qualities, there are certain lessons that Australia has learned in terms of how to tackle and how to bridge this gap between uh, rural and urban po- uh, population and poverty and this one person that sort of uh, keep accumulating most of the wealth in countries like India. And uh, so it starts there. Uh, and to uh, so that would be the first step. And if we're talking about something immediate in terms of collaboration to help alleviate this pandemic together, then we will be looking mm-hmm. at getting personnel uh, who work in the think tanks and policy organizations in Australia to come to India, look at the ground level, set up a chapter uh, in uh, cities like uh, Karnataka, in uh, cities like Chennai, I mean, in cities like Bangalore, in cities like Chennai and Delhi, which are uh, uh, the, the best uh, metropolitan cities, but which also do happen to have equal amount of slums. Uh, to really understand what is going on, to see if there is something that Australia did in its past that can be transferred here and talk and engage in workshops, engage in collaborative workshops with these non-governmental organizations and think tanks in India. We should set up Indian chapters. For example, Melbourne has an India Centre. University of New South, New South Wales already has a chapter in New Delhi. And University of Sydney, Sydney has an India chapter. Deakin has several collaborations with various healthcare institutions and social mm-hmm. health institutions. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to just have collaboration and have people uh, uh, be exchanged every now and then. It is important to come and set of you know a center in these areas yeah. where problems can be identified where your learnings from how you've dealt with your pro- problems in the past i mean in australia can be applied here and a- another benefit uh, another uh, t- tangible benefit that australia can obtain from uh, doing a project like this is once they figure out that this is how problems can be tackled once they understand the ground reality this can also be transferred an application to several other developing countries in the world that would require similar help that do face the same problem. Uh, so uh, I think this is, this is a brilliant way in which we can collaborate. I don't have the insights into the Indian experience, but I think what I can do is pick up the last aspect of what Shweta was saying and how Australia can help because I think that a lot of people underestimate the relationship and the importance India will have to Australia in the future. And if we invest in sort of relationships now um, through the, the different chapters, as Shreya to put it, um, then mm. we can put ourselves in a position to really um, benefit from the relationship and be a, a really close friend to India in their times um, of developing through the economic challenges and the COVID challenges. Um, because in Frankly, India are very important to Australia's defence. Uh, we've got um, some, a lot of issues building around um, sort of the conflicts with China in the East China uh, in the China Sea, um, around the developing um, ve- developing countries in Southeast Asia. Um, that a lot of uh, India will take a leadership role in the future in in that area if they haven't right. already. Um, and so we need them as an ally and if we help them during this COVID crisis as much as we can then um, then it'll be a good investment from us um, and it will also save uh, a lot of people in the process so I think it's it's a win-win if we can help out as much as we can and invest now and this is a great opportunity to show how invested we are in the relationship Um, so and we, we not only um, have economic interests and defence interests, but we also have a great cultural um, interest as well. We're very close in the sense of we both love cricket. We're great cricket-faring nations. 
Um, we share uh, colonial history. We share the English language. So there are lots and lots of different ingredients in place that will show that the, the relationship in the future, 30 years, 40 years in the, in the future, when Schrader and I um, are old, <laughs> or um, yeah, as a, like, I think that it's it's going to be a long-term investment is what my point is. And I think things like the COVID crisis are really important for Australia to show that we're committed to the long-term investment with India.